Good morning. If you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 37 as the kids make their way to the back. One of the benefits of getting here early this morning was to get a little preview of the children's choir as they were singing this morning for us, so appreciate that. Psalm 37. All right, now this, this is a, um, a, an interesting psalm. As we are, are working our way through the first book of Psalms, uh, which is Psalm 1 through 41, that, that makes up the first book of the book of Psalms. Um, there's, we, we've seen a lot of different kinds of psalms, but this is uh, kind of a unique one in a lot of ways. Um, one of the ways is this is a psalm that is to us, not to God. So this is a song in God's songbook that we are to sing to ourselves, not to God. Um, sometimes, you know, people think, well, if it's a worship song, we should just be singing to God. Um, God shows us otherwise that sometimes we need to sing to ourselves. Sometimes we need to be reminded of certain things about who he is and, and what's going to come. And so that's, that's what this book or, or this chapter, this song is about. It's about us singing to ourselves some truths that we need to hear. It's also an interesting psalm because of the way it's structured. Um, and for some of you, I'm going to teach you maybe a new word this morning. Um, and, and I hope my southern public education doesn't butcher it too much. Um, but it's, it's chiastic. So this, this psalm has a chiastic structure. So normally when I preach, you know, I start at verse 1 and we kind of make our way through the psalm and we get to the end and that's the culmination of the psalm. That's the culmination of what the psalm is about. This psalm is different. This psalm, it actually works its way to the middle. And I kind of made this slide. It's a little hard to read back there. Hopefully you can see it. Where it, it kind of starts and ends with outcomes. So, so the beginning and the end of this psalm are the same. And then its second section is kind of, you know, labeled there violence, right? So we have violence in the second part and then violence in the second to the last part. And then we see God's provision in the third part and then God's provision in the third to the last part. All of that is pointing to the central theme. What's most important about this psalm is found in verses 21 through 24. And, and I want to read that this morning together as a church. Rather, this is another long psalm. Um, but I, I want to focus in on what the main point of this psalm is by reading verses 21 through 24 together. Uh, all right, so verses 21. If you'll read along with me. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So this is, this is David's main point. And, and so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to basically follow this guide, follow this template, if you will, to get us to the main point, okay? So as we're going through this, I'm going to go through the first part and the end. Then I'm going to go through the second part 
and the part second to the end. And then I'm going to go through the third part and the part third from the end, culminating in this central theme, this central important thing that David wants us to get this morning. And I'm going to break it down in four ways. We're going to look at the ultimate fate of the righteous and the wicked. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 11, and then also 34 through 40. I'm going to talk about, second, the the wicked plots, the Lord laughs, do you? And you'll see that in verses 12 through 15, 32 through 33. Then God's provision for the righteous, verses 16 through 20, 25 through 31 culminating and leading us to the fourth and final point, the most important point, is to focus on what is eternal and not what is fading away. All right, so before I start this psalm and before I start kind of walking through the scripture, I want to ask you a question, a question I posed to my friends on Facebook this week, but what do you, what do you delight in? So God has given us all kinds of delights in this life. And, and it was interesting the feedback I got. Some, some people just, you know, their grandkids, just watching their grandkids run and play and learn and do things. A, a baby taking their first steps. It just, just brings delight. It was, it was interesting to me how much of the things that were mentioned had little to do with provision, with stuff, if you will with the exception of tacos. Okay, people said tacos brought them a lot of delight, which I get because I love a taco too, right? But, but for the most part, it, it was walking outside and seeing a sunrise. It was seeing a sunset. It was being in the mountains and just experiencing the grandeur of God and just being amazed. Those are the things that bring delight in this world. And what David wants us to do And what David is going to be pointing us to as we walk through this psalm together this morning is he wants us to get to the place to where we will delight in the Lord. That that same delight we experience when we see our grandchildren is the delight we experience when we sit down to spend a moment with God. That same delight that we experience when we're out in nature or the woods and and there's this beautiful sunrise, that same feeling, that same experience we have of delight will be how we approach God and, and how we feel when we are in his presence. So let's, let's look at this. We're going to kind of break it up. And let's start with the ultimate fate of the righteous and the wicked. David kind of sets this up to help us understand how we can delight in God living in such a fallen world, living in the world that we live in where there's so much sin, there's so much disease and sickness and problems. It's It might be hard to delight in the Lord if we don't remember the ultimate fate of the righteous and the wicked. David is setting before us here two ways in Psalm 37. One leads to being cut off from the land. The other leads to inheriting it. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise for those of you who have been with us as we've studied through the first uh, book of Psalms, these, these first 41 Psalms, because it's a common theme, and we see it all the way back in the very first Psalm. But here, David uses a kind of an interesting phrase to describe how the righteous should live. David calls his audience to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend faith. That's a weird expression, isn't it? Like as I'm reading through the psalm, I'm just thinking that that's odd. Like that, that, that's a weird way to say that. What is he saying there? Well, it's, it's to take care of faithfulness like a shepherd 
takes care of his sheep. Right? A shepherd feeds it, feeds their, feeds its sheep. It, it watches over them. It protects them. And it's always with them. To trust the Lord, to dwell in the Lord, is to befriend faithfulness. To feed your faithfulness. That's what you're here doing this morning. Whether you realize it or not, you're coming and hearing the word preached. You're coming and singing praises to God. You're, you're befriending faithfulness this morning by, by feeding your soul. God has all of these ways that he puts grace into our life. One of the main ways is coming on Sunday morning and hearing his word preached. Hearing and singing together as a church. But another way is community. Being with a group of, gathered with a group of believers together, studying his word, talking about his goodness, right? God, God uses all of these ways to bring grace and mercy into our lives. And we are, are to be befriending them. We, we are to be feeding our souls, watching over our souls, watching over our faithfulness, protecting our faithfulness. To trust the Lord to dwell in this land, we have to befriend faithfulness. David urges us to find delight in the Lord. David calls us to, to relish in the refined delicacies enjoyed by those in relationship with God the way a, a rich person enjoys a fine wine, right? You, you go and you, you, maybe you've had this experience. I've only had it once. But it was glorious. I went and got a steak at Ruth Chris. And it was like butter. I mean, I didn't even need a knife. It was, just, it was just amazing, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, this is the way God intended this to be served. Right? This is a delight to my soul and my stomach. Praise God, right? Like, like that, that kind of feeling, that kind of experience is the way we are to delight in the Lord. To think this, this is the way that I was made to live my life. By finding delight in Him. Finding my, my pleasure, my satisfaction of all of my desires in the Lord. If God becomes our delight, the desires of our heart become the desires of God. See, there's a, there's a transformation that's happening here. Verse Four says that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us new desires for himself. Desires that he will then satisfy. This is the key to a life of contentment. It's ordering our desires, delighting in him, allowing him to change our desires, and then allowing him to fulfill those new desires that he places in our hearts and in our souls. David is speaking here directly to those of us who are frustrated with the state of the world that we live in. David's counsel is one we all need to hear this morning. David calls us not to, to yell and try to make our voices heard just like the wicked do. Instead, he counsels us to quiet our souls, to focus on the Lord, and to focus on waiting on Him. Again, another theme we've seen throughout this section of Psalms of waiting on the Lord. Rather than being angered and incensed at the wicked. Why? Because David knows from experience that the anger of the, of the righteous could lead us to sin. Right? 
The, the wicked do something, and we get all riled up. We, we get all upset about it, and we start lashing out. The problem is, in trying to kill the monster, we become the monster. We, we fall into the same pit and trap of sin as the wicked do. It's exactly what the enemy wants. It wants us to lash out. It wants us to do those things. But David advises something different. David advises us to quiet our souls, to, to not lash out, to not speak ill, to be angry and upset because he knows that there's a great potential for us to fall into sin. The righteous are to find stillness in the Lord, trusting that those who do evil will be cut off from the land. Right? It, it's not like, oh, we're just going to overlook this. Oh, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. But God's the judge. God's the one that will do the execution. Not, not us. We don't have to do that. But those of us who wait for the Lord, we're not cut off from the land. What, what does he say in verse 9? We inherit the land. It, it, it becomes ours. David reinforces these truths in verses 10 through 11, saying that the time until the wicked are gone is short. And once again, the wicked will be nowhere to be found in verse 10. The righteous, meanwhile, who have endured affliction in humility will inherit the land and be delighted by God's overflowing peace. His, his shalom is the Hebrew word. It's just an all-encompassing. We use that word peace sometimes like a throwaway word, but, but what's meant in the Bible here is just, just every part of you is at peace. There's not one part of your body, mind, or soul that's not resting in that peace. That, that's what God wants for us as we delight ourselves in Him. Verses 1 through 11 are tied together by a threefold command. You see it in verses 1, 7, and 8. To not be angered or incensed by the wicked. And then he balances this out, the, the, these three commands, with two references to delighting ourselves in the Lord instead, right? The Bible is, it, listen, I love it because it doesn't just tell us what not to do. Some of you probably went to churches and you grew up and you feel like this is just a book that tells you what not to do. But let me tell you, that's not God's word. Whoever was preaching that to you only was reading half of it. Because it's not only what not to do, like Paul says to put off the old man, but we also are to put on the new man. So how do we not get angry and, and resentful and, and, and just indignant at all the wickedness around us? By delighting in the Lord. Sound like the psalm from last week, if you were here? Right? Where, where's our focus at? If our focus is on the wicked, we're going to be angry and upset and just frustrated. But if our focus is on delighting ourselves in the Lord, well, our attitude is going to be completely different. Notice that Psalm 37 closes the same way it opens. Just as in verses 1 through 11, it speaks to the ultimate fate of the righteous and the wicked, 34 through 40 treats the same theme. He comes back around in this, this poetic structure that he's using. In 34, David commands us to wait for the Lord to reward the just when he will raise them up to inherit the land. And then 35 through 36, it depicts the wicked as a, as a flamboyant tree showing itself off 
which suddenly appears. Daisy, if you'll put up that picture. In, in my backyard, this, this verse made me think of this. I have this tree, and it is beautiful. It's like a Japanese magnolia. There's probably a, a fancier word for it, and I don't know it. But that's what I call it. It's a Japanese magnolia. It is an absolutely beautiful tree for a couple of weeks. Absolutely beautiful for a couple of weeks. The rest of the time, it's green, and that's not bad. But this is just, it, when it's in this stage, and it's in my yard right now, that picture was taken yesterday. Like, that's the way it looks right now. It's, it's just beautiful. My whole yard turns pink and purple underneath it. It's great. But the Bible says that's what the wicked are like. See, we, we look at them, and we look at all the stuff that they have, all, all the riches, all the material goods, and we think, whoo, man, I'd like to be like that. David reminds us, it, it's gone. Just, just as fast as these, the, the leaves are already falling to the ground. As soon as they bloom, they're falling to the ground. And he's reminding us this morning that, that that's what it's like for the wicked. They, they may be flamboyant, they, they may be showy, but then they're gone. This, this image contrasts with the tree imagery that he uses in Psalm 1. And I encourage you, I'm not going to read it today, but go back and read about the, the, the tree that the blessed man is described as in, in chapter 1 of Psalms. Psalm 37 teaches that the wicked man will meet an unexpected destruction, but the righteous will reap the fruits of their good deeds. Whereas the tree of the wicked man, verse 35, 36, vanishes. The next verse, 37, affirms a future for the man characterized by integrity and uprightness. Where there is a future for the righteous. The only future for transgressors is to be cut off and destroyed. See that in verse 38. The righteous have the Lord as their Savior, their stronghold, their deliverer, their refuge. He will save them. And that leads into the second theme, the second section of this psalm. The wicked plots, the Lord laughs. How about you? See, God wants us to avoid being angry and wrathful. The wicked are the ones that rage and gnash their teeth and are, are, are plotting they're the ones starting podcasts and websites and political ideologies. All these things are there to try to overthrow the righteous. Those who believe in God should take the same approach as God. Instead of getting all riled up and trying to respond in kind, we should respond the way God responds. God laughs at the wicked. Because he knows the end of all their plans. All their podcasts, all their websites, all their political ideologies are going to fail. And because he knows that, he laughs at it. It's, it's humorous to him to think that they think they can win. The wicked take their best shot thinking that God's people are defenseless. That we're weak. That we're poor. That we're marginalized. 
Surely we can take them out. The sad thing is, so many Christians think the same, think more like the wicked than they think like God. They forget that they have a protector. A protector capable of turning their own swords, the enemy's own swords, back against themselves. A protector capable of breaking the bows of those who are shooting the arrows so that the arrows are ineffective. Instead, they try to protect themselves. Or they try to protect God's image, what they think, whatever that is. David believes, David reminds us this morning that we have a protector. One who knows all the plans. We we do not ever need to be stressed or worried about things happening in this world. Because ultimately it all fails. We have a protector. Do you remember that from day to day? David returns to the attacks of murderous wicked people in verses 32 through 33. Where though the wicked try to kill the righteous, God never abandons them physically or allows the wicked to condemn them unjustly. This morning, have you, have you forgotten that you have a protector? Are are you busy trying to protect yourself? Are you busy trying to protect your faith from what you think are these outside attacks of the wicked? Does that cause you to get angry and upset and fall into that trap that David warns us not to fall into? Do, Do you spend your time and your energy trying to fight a fight that God has promised to fight for his people? I would humbly submit that if that describes you, it's because you're failing to focus on David's third point in this psalm, which is God's provision for the righteous. We see this is in verses 16 through 20, and then again in verses 25 through 31. See, provision and safety are essential for us. The problem is once we get those essential needs met, what do we tend to do as human beings? Once we have our basics kind of taken care of, then what's the next thing that human beings do? We start comparing, don't we? We start looking around, right? Because we're no longer busy taking care of the essentials. We're good. We got food. There's, you know, food in the pantry. We're not stressed about that anymore. So now we got to fill our time. How do we fill our time? Well, we typically compare ourselves. We start looking around and trying to, to, to see how we measure up against others. How our situation measures up against others' situations. How our house measures up against other people's houses. How our cars measure up against other people's cars. Right? We, we, this is what we do. We, just, we start to compare. Psalm 37 teaches the believer at least seven ways to be happy in response to this human tendency to compare. In verses 1 through 2, do not envy the wicked, for they will be judged. Right? Don't be envious about what they have. There's a judgment coming for them that's not coming for you. Praise God. 
Verses three through four. God can bring true delight to you. Do you know one of the fastest ways to stop appreciating something? Buy it. Or for some of you, marry it. People pay all kinds of money to fly all around the world to see beautiful works of art. But buy that art and put it on your wall. How long do you think before you won't even notice that it's there? You stop appreciating it, right? True delight doesn't come from what we have. It never will. Because as soon as we have it, we'll want something else. Something new will come along. Verses 5 through 6, to get delight, you have to trust Him and wait on Him. Verse 7, be still before Him. Wait, don't be angry or incensed. Verses 8 through 9, stop being angry and don't do the, don't, don't do the evil it would prompt. Verses 10 through 11, the meek will inherit the earth. Verses 12 through 15, the violent only harms themselves. And looking at all these ways mentioned, they all boil down to one essential truth missed by so many in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The question for most of us, again, is how do we do that? Well, I think the other six ways that he mentions in the psalm gives us the answer to that question. So those who are poor and tempted to envy all that the wicked have, David say, it says in verses 16 through 20, that God is their father who will protect and provide for them. Better to have, a, have God as your father than abundance in a wicked world. In verses 16 through 17, David says that it is better to have just what you need and be righteous. Then have all the wealth of the wicked, because God will break the arms of the wicked, but uphold the righteous. Do you want to panic when you hear God coming? Or are you like Adam and Eve in the garden, and when they hear God, they run and they hide? Or do you want his presence to be a delight? For those who obey and content themselves, with what he provides. The sound of his coming is a forerunner of joy. We, we, we get excited to be in his presence because we're delighting in him. The fate of the wicked is the opposite of that though, right? It's described in verse 20. If the, if the wicked seem to have a splendid pasture as a result of their disobedience, in other words, they, they, they have everything they would want in this life because of their disobedience. Their, their fields, their stuff will be scorched in the smoke and nothing will remain. David urges us in verse 27 to turn from evil and do good that, they might inherit, that we might inherit the land and dwell there. This, this is a promise of life in God's presence on God's land in this age and the age to come. David knows it'll work because he says in verse, 30, in verse 28, the Lord loves justice and will not forsake those marked by his love and kindness. God is not going to forsake us. We know it's true because God is a God of justice. 
God will preserve us forever and make our seed a blessing. Verse 27. But the seed of the wicked, the seed of the serpent, it will be cut off. Verse 28. David wants us to see that sin steals our joy. It makes God our enemy. And it ultimately brings everlasting destruction upon us. Obedience, on the other hand, obedience gives joy. Obedience allows us to have an everlasting life with our Heavenly Father. It allows us to inherit the land that He has prepared for us. Thus, in verse 29, David declares that the righteous will inherit the land to enjoy it forever. If we ask how the righteous become and remain convinced of these realities, and again, how the righteous are to delight themselves in the Lord, again, it's as though David says, go back and read Psalm 1. Verse 30, he employs the same verb used to refer to meditating on the word in Psalm 1-2. To say that the righteous man meditates on wisdom. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. Wisdom and justice are characteristics of God's word. But it's also characteristics, characteristic of those who spend time in God's word. Thus in verse 31, he says, Why the righteous man has wisdom and justice in his mouth, because the law or the Torah of his God is in his heart. His life will be that of a man whose steps do not slip in verse 31. That the righteous man will walk securely. This is not someone who is terrified and worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. This is a person who can walk confidently in the Lord. When our focus is on the Lord and delighting ourselves in Him, our steps are steady and true. Conversely, when our focus is on the world and its wickedness, we become unstable. Not sure where to go next. Not sure where to turn. The lamp that should be guiding our feet no longer is there because our eyes are not on His Word and His righteousness, but instead on the wicked. The righteous man will walk securely. His foot will not slide in due time because he walks with God. And that leads us to the main point. Focus on what is eternal and not what is fading away. In verses 21 through 24, the wicked disregard for God and neighbor stands in sharp contrast with the regard of the righteous For both. He gives an example of the wicked taking out a loan and he doesn't pay it back because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the person that he took the loan out from. He only cares about himself, not the one who made the loan. And he doesn't think that God will judge him, so he just keeps doing it. He doesn't care about other people, he just cares about number one. That's it, that's his focus. The righteous, on the other hand, they give. They they grace others. 
The righteous are always looking for ways to make everyone around them better. It's not just about having a relationship with God. That is first and foremost. But the evidence of that relationship with God is how you treat other people. Especially how you treat other people who can do nothing for you. Some of you know this. I'm, I'm the chaplain of Sonny's here in Lake City. And it breaks my heart to listen to the waitresses tell me that they do not look forward to Sundays. Because of the church crowd. They're mean, they're rude, and they don't tip well. That's how the church is known. I'm sure there's exceptions, don't get me wrong. I'm just speaking generally. That's the feedback I get from them. By the way, I've given them pictures of all of you. If that's you, they're reporting back to me. But how do you, how do you treat that server? Do you treat them as someone who is beneath you or above you? That's the evidence. That's the evidence of God changing your heart. It's evidence of you spending time with him. Because the more you spend time with him, you, the more you realize you are a sinner saved by grace. And except for the grace of the Lord, so would I. And that changes the way you deal with people. You become generous. You don't hold back. You're not stingy anymore. It, it changes who you are at the core. The righteous are always looking for ways to make everyone around them better. Verse 22 functions as the center point of that chiasm I was talking about in this psalm. David uses this verse to help us see the psalm's main point. Those who delight in the Lord's blessing will inherit the land, but those whom the Lord curses will be cut off from it. And inheriting the land here points beyond this life to the new heaven and new earth. That the blessing of the Lord is elaborated upon in verses 23 through 24. The wording of verse 23 is, is a little ambiguous, but I, th I think it's that way on purpose. The, the first line is very clear, that the Lord establishes God's absolute, or, or the, the first line establishes God's absolute sovereignty over man's life when he says the steps of a man are established by the Lord. Okay, that, That's absolutely clear. The second line, however, it doesn't specify who does the delighting. When he says, when he delights in his way. Is this the man delighting in God's way? Or is this God delighting in the man's way? And again, I, I personally think and agree with the theologians that think David intended it to suggest both. It's not an either or. It's not either God's happy or we're happy. It's both. That, that when we delight in the Lord and he changes our desires, he then gives us the desires of our heart. The, the new desires. And so we delight in him as he delights in us. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. Verse 4 indicates that when he says that God gives us new desires and then he fulfills them. So in 23, it indicates the righteous man's way 
is delightful to both God and the righteous who walk in it. Verse 24, David speaks to the imperfect way of the righteous. Again, I love the Bible because it's honest. David, David will tell you more than anybody that he's a sinner. Yes, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm given God's righteousness, but I'm, I'm still a sinner. And he acknowledges that the righteous may fall. But because the righteous repent, trust God, and walk with God, the sin of the righteous is forgiven. So don't, don't read this and think, okay, well, now I have to be perfect. That, that's not what David's saying. We, we, should, we should work toward that. We should hope for that. But then we should also be realistic. We're going to fail. And when we fail, we confess and we repent. We turn away from that sin. See, that's something that the unrepentant can't do. The righteous can repent, but the unrighteous wicked cannot. And because we can repent, David says the result is that we are not cast headlong, but instead we experience the Lord upholding us. So even in those moments in which we fail, our Lord is caring for us, providing for us, taking care of us. David in this psalm is foreshadowing our Savior. In one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, and I would encourage you this week, just go read it. It's in Matthew chapter 5. David here speaks of inheriting the land. It, it helps us to understand the promise that Jesus makes in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. David speaks of how the Lord provides for the righteous. And Jesus says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied in verse 6. David speaks to the Lord bringing out vindication like the noonday sun. And Jesus says that lamps are not put under a bushel in verses 14 through 16, reminding us that we don't have to defend ourselves. The Lord will put us on display. David teaches teaches us to find its fulfillment, or excuse me, David's teaching finds its fulfillment in the teaching of Jesus. At his coming, Jesus will cut off the wicked from the land and establish the righteousness in the new heaven and the new earth. This morning, as you think about your life, as you think about the things that you delight in, Do you find the Lord being one of those things? Do you look forward to his presence? Do you look forward to spending time with him in prayer and reading your Bible? Not because I told you to do that or because someone told you to do that, but because you delight in him and you want to know him. Are you growing in that delightment? Those of you who may be new believers and you're new to all of this, are, are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing and looking forward to that time? 
When, when Sunday rolls around, are you looking forward to being with his people? Are you looking forward to gather, to sing, to hear his word te- taught? It's my hope and my prayer this morning that you are. Because as we desire him, he changes our desires and then fulfills all of those desires in our life. And it's my hope and my prayer that each one of you experience that joy in your life. Don't be like the wicked. Don't be raging away and just trying to figure out how you're going to get back at people and, and, and just you know vindicate yourself or vindicate your faith. Trust God. We can trust him in the storm, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for calling us and inviting us to delight in you. And Lord, I pray that each one here has experienced this delight. And if they haven't, that this morning they would confess and repent of of their sin and be made right. Lord, that that the Lord Jesus' righteousness would be transferred to their account so that they might experience the delight that David is talking about here in Psalm 37. And Lord, for those of us who who are believers, but we've, we've fallen into the trap of anger. And God, we, we, we've just allowed the, the wicked world to, to just draw us into their instability. Father, I, I pray that we would confess and repent of that this morning. God, and we, and we would leave here with, a, with a, just a peace about this world because of how this world is going to end. And that no injustice will be left. God, that that you will take care of every injustice, every wrong, every persecution, everything will be made right. Father, help us this morning to trust you as our protector to make that right and to not try to do it ourselves so that we might experience this peace and delight that David talks about in Psalm 37. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.